0: Welcome back to another episode of Arts Interrupted. I'm Rebecca Lerner.
1: And my name is Ineca Yall, and we're here with two daily arts writers, Sean Lang and Mike Watkins, here to talk about vinyl.
0: So, we're delving into vinyl this week because of its massive comeback, which um, Mike recently covered about for The Daily. His article tit- titled, Vinyl's Back, But Why?, was published uh, just three weeks ago, and you can find it on The Daily's website. We'll Include that when Absolutely. we when we publish the article, get you some more reads. Um, but yeah, vinyl has made a surprising comeback. Um, according to Billboard, in 2017, vinyl album sales hit 14 million, and that's up nine percent from 2016. So there's definitely an upward trend here, um, which is interesting.
1: Yeah, and I think the main question we wanna sort of tackle with our kind of discussion here is. Why vinyl has this appeal. We've gone through periods and phases of physical products of music, you know, having their peaks and their valleys. But vinyl has made a huge comeback, and, you know, you see growth and uh, growth each year by year. So we really want to kind of dive into why people like vinyl, maybe the nostalgia behind it, you know, the appeal behind it, what people think about owning vinyl. So that's kind of like
2: why we're here.
0: Yeah. So, Mike, why don't you talk about what interests you in this article and why you decided to go into this a little bit?
2: Yeah. So, um, I went into this article covering Dom polsonelli's b-side about mm-hmm. phenomena in music and vinyl is perfect for that because as we just talked about it's like kind of like spontaneous comeback the past couple of years um, so I went to encore records down on East Liberty to talk to one of the co-owners Jim Dwyer about what he thought was the like driving force behind the vinyl comeback because he's had Kind of a first-hand look at it and his take was all about sound quality he mm. like strongly views vinyl as a superior medium for music listening and he essentially argued that the cd was just a temporary thing that people were going to eventually catch on to the fact that it's colder sound it's more digital and uh you kind of lose that warmth That you get like when you record, yeah.
1: Because I think I've seen a lot of there's a crispness to like that vinyl listening too. Yeah, Uh, and I've talked to people who produce as as well, and people do like a direct analog recording. They like want that vinyl sound. Yeah, Mm
2: -hmm. uh, which I can definitely see the appeal for. Yeah, he mentioned that with certain records, um, in particular Abbey Road by the Beatles, you can actually feel like the warmth of a certain studio. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Because the way vinyl works is you. Like a microphone takes in the vibrations from the air and then when you etch that into the vinyl it is just re-releasing those same vibrations yeah um whereas with a cd it's compressed into some digital medium and the sound is rounded out and you lose that like the atmosphere of the sound
1: yeah and like back in my days of a. Uh Pirating music. <laughs> I remember that. Uh, what was the most sought after for a lot of big albums was like the vinyl, like rips of, of albums. I think largely because of that. Um, you don't really get that kind of like human warmth, I guess, yeah, when it comes exactly. into like CD rips or like MP3s. Yeah. Well, so
0: I you know. want to let Sean jump in here because I know you've got some opinions about this. Whether or not, like, do y- do you think that you would be able? And I'd like to take a poll here. Do you think you'd be able to tell the difference between a song on vinyl and I
1: personally think, um, like, I can. I just, like, I, I specifically I download music that are vinyl rips. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, there's this file format called Flack, if I can get nerdy, and that's usually the kind of file format people use when they're ripping vinyls. Are you going to
0: go to jail for this episode?
1: Uh, <laughs> we'll see what happens. But, uh, you know, I'm, like, a bit nerdy when it comes to, like, my audiophile, like, interest. Like, I have, like, these special headphones. I only listen to vinyl rips. I listen to vinyls directly, and I feel like that... Christmas that warmth. I really feel that difference when I'm listening to albums. And I think Mm. when it comes to special albums, that's definitely what I prefer. Um, other people might differ though.
3: Yeah, sure. So I want to touch a little bit on the difference in mastering for digital or CD and mastering for vinyl. So the first generation of CDs, you know, from the mid eighties to even as late as the late nineties, a lot of publishers, we're just taking these same analog masterings and putting those onto CD. And I think that's where a lot of the coldness came from on that first generation of CDs. Was, because that was like compression of sound essentially, right, going yeah, on. Yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, I mean, you have to master the different, you know, I mean, the EQ is different for analog versus digital, yeah. for CD versus vinyl. Sure. um And I want to touch on so Mike talked to well, Jim. Yeah, Jim Dwyer. Jim Dwyer from Encore Records wow. here in Ann Arbor. Great guy. super cool. Yeah, love him. <laughs> uh, and actually, just a couple days ago, I talked to Herm Baker, who's the owner of Vertigo Records. You know, I asked him, "Do you prefer vinyl or do you prefer CD?" And I really liked his answer because he said, "Well, you know, I'm going to stop you right there and say I don't, I don't have a preference flat out. He's not a CD hater. He's not a." I mean, he appreciates vinyl, but yeah. he talked a lot about, you know, mastering for CD versus mastering for vinyl. There are albums where, you know, it's great to throw it on the turntable, listen to it spin, flip it over, listen listen to the other side, but he also talked about, you know, CD can be just as good. Hmm. Uh, so if we're leaving the technical side of things, um, I think
1: that the brunt of what really. Drives a lot of this vinyl phenomena is probably nostalgia too, right? Or like the sense of exclusivity, you know, buying these really cool albums. Like we can touch on Record Store Day too. There are a lot of like really interesting, almost tribalistic aspects of what goes on, I think, with vinyl consumption. Mm -hmm. Um, And do you guys have any thoughts in regards to
2: that? Yeah, absolutely. That when I talked with Jim, that was kind of the second half of his spiel. Okay. Um, It's all about like the the listening experience, you know, when at least growing up when iPods and iTunes and everything really started growing, my parents were kind of like the typical disgruntled, like, baby boomers. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Who were l- so upset that their child was not experiencing the the opening of the vinyl and yeah. reading the lyrics and even just listening to an album in the order that it's supposed to be listened to, because you have to with vinyl, pretty much, unless you want to, like, guess where a track yeah, starts. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's all about that kind of like mechanical placing it on the, on the record player, moving that needle dropping it on and then you just kind of, it's almost
1: like the ritualistic thing. Exactly. You just lay back and you kind
2: of just roll with where the vinyl takes you. That's what I love doing then too. Yeah. Just kind of laying
1: in my bed, putting the headphones Mm -hmm. on. But when you you can like,
2: when you can like pick singles on your, on your phone, you can, you're you're just kind of skipping around. Yeah, the consumption's
1: completely changed in that regard too. Absolutely. yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, if we're looking at the history in the. 80s sales were for vinyl records were in the billions like Uh 2 billion it was average for like the mid 80s until CDs hit Um, CDs made their official debut in 82 and then vinyl just kind of dipped and and Like once digital came, and then it was like really low until two thousand nine, yeah. And then sales Mm -hmm. started to pick back up again, which I think is interesting. So I think that's
1: probably because of the same reasoning I think Mike's touching on. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that people kind of long for that ritualistic aspect of music. I think that when you kind of when we enter this like digital age of music, consumption becomes very rapid. Mm -hmm. Um, and there is that lack of almost like as melodramatic as as it sounds like humanity to how you're like. Yeah. consuming your music, everything's a lot faster. You know, you could mm-hmm. just picking and choosing what you want. Um but I think with vinyl I think people are like wanting that slowdown, exactly. so to speak. And I think for me personally that's what like really appeals to me. Like I bought a lot of the albums that I listened to digitally that I love growing up on vinyl purely for that means of consumption. So I can like consume the music like that,
2: you know. Yeah. And like speaking about music in general, the so- the sounds and are great when you when you're listening to music, but there's so much more to just the actual music itself like when you look at Sgt. Pepper's when that was first released that was the first like album that focused on packaging and presentation and the experience aside from just the sounds on the album and in the digital age that we're in now almost everything but the music kind of falls by the wayside like even the cover art it's this small little thumbnail that you can barely see so I absolutely think that part of vinyl's resurgence was just like you said that like desire for that entire experience
1: and i think artists are picking up on that too because i've seen with like a lot of even recent releases they get an opportunity to you know appeal to their uh, fans in a different way, mm-hmm. like with Tyler's last album, yeah, his like vinyl release yeah. is very interesting. You know, there's a lot of really like just cool little, you know, if yeah, you have stickers. You have Eerliner, exactly, yeah. you know, and you're able to like interact with your customers on this, like, or not customers, your your fans on like a very mm-hmm. different medium. I think. Yeah. Well, yeah. customers too.
0: Yeah, I know, but <laughs> I like to treat them
3: more, you know, in a <laughs> human way. And I'm a fan, not a customer. And, okay. and you know, speaking of Tyler. <laughs> He also released his album on cassette.
1: He actually, yeah, I I think that's another thing, too. We're we're talking about nostalgia, and, like, there are a lot of cool things about, like, technical sounds and stuff, too, but, like, cassettes coming back, and you don't have (laughs) that same technical appeal, right? Okay,
0: okay is but it is though you
1: see punk bands releasing cassettes but
0: where are you going how are you going to play a cassette because no i bought a boom has... box a few like a, a few oh weeks ago yeah, people are just getting back hey. into it. that's the thing <laughs> you bought a boom box a good old
1: sony like ghetto blaster you kind of like out of the like bronx you know one of
3: those style like
1: boom boxes no,
0: I, i'm familiar yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: purely so i can play cassettes that i bought at encore records
3: and and some of us didn't have to go out and buy boom boxes some of us drive guys, so. uh old old cars <laughs> <laughs> that do not have CD players that oh, yeah' gonna test the Sean's <laughs> love Bx yeah yeah so I started buying cassettes a couple years ago when I realized I could I could listen while I' drive yeah so I mean you see this nostalgia
1: with vinyls and I think that yeah there's because that's like an extension of that almost like a testament to how I think nostalgia probably is most of the drum vin yeah. vinyl than maybe the technical
2: part yeah the, it's it's know. the classic like everything old is new again
1: yeah because even like with my dad he sees albums that I listen to that They're not genres or bands that he would have listened to growing up, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think, like, Kid A was not his shit in, (laughs) like, you know, like, in the 70s, right? But he sees me putting this vinyl on my record and he's willing to listen to me because this is something, like, this is the ritual he was used to. You know, this is something he really liked. So I think that, like, just general appeal of the experience is even appealing to those older audiences as well. So it's almost like this universal thing where, like, us younger people can be like, this is how it was. We're experiencing this really cool, different way of consuming music. But then we have these older generations who are like, now we're hearkening back to this this is like very very cool Mm
4: -hmm. yeah
3: i mean i think that one of the things that we sort of keep coming back to even if we don't say it so concisely is you know regardless of whether vinyl sounds better than cd or cd sounds better than cassette you know vinyl is more than just a medium it's it's it sounds pretentious to say but it's sort of this whole culture of you know buy local buy direct from the band uh you know, even though you could go online and download a, a lossless file yeah. for free, you know, pirate it. And, like, Record Store
1: comes out of that, too. Like, do you want to
3: touch on that? What was that?
1: Record Store Day. Oh, for sure. Because that's, like, that touches on, like, those kind of elements, too.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, one of the interesting things that came up when I was talking to Herm Baker, again, that's the owner of Vertigo Records in Grand Rapids. Um, so, he had a store before he owned Vertigo that went bankrupt when, you know, CDs started coming out and stores, like, Best Buy, Barnes & Noble, even Urban Outfitters started stacking, you know, more and more vinyl and CDs and that kind of thing. Um, but then in, you know, he decided to reinvest, open a new store. And then in 2007, uh, Record Store Day was like officially established as this whole movement where you know, you'd have thousands of special edition releases from all sorts of different artists and all of these releases would be available only at local record yeah, all, stores. Yeah, like participating stores. And mm-hmm. it was like a really cool movement, I
1: think, to maybe both like bolster artists' appeal in a very alternative way, but also kind of just like fuel that revival as well, right?
0: And so was that were smaller artists. So like, teacher? I think with, like so Record Records
1: days like, you have like a, a huge, like a deluge of different artists releasing mm-hmm. special things from small to big. Okay. Like you can have like a J Dilla special pressing of songs that either weren't released or released in a special way or it's like a picture disc or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or you can have like some contemporary band releasing one of their new albums in like a really cool limited edition fashion. Smaller bands releasing their like punk rock records that people haven't seen. It's just generally this like cool movement just to like engage people on vinyl. No matter yeah. who you are, what you are, what you're listening to, what you're trying to like convey, yeah, um, and yeah. I think it's really cool. There's like a whole communal aspect to it that's really awesome. For sure,
3: for sure. And and just to touch on one thing you said, it's sort of like the special edition Jack White record is gonna be, you know, a pressing of three thousand, limited to three thousand, exactly, and then the yeah. underground sort of local punk band is probably gonna put out a, an edition of like and like, 300. Like these gimmicks
1: work, you know? Oh yeah, yeah. That's what's like. I think it was really cool about it. Like it's it, it is gimmicky. Like, that is what it is. But like. Gimmicks and nostalgia—all that—they all, that, they all work, work hand in hand, and then, like that probably is like contributing to why we're listening to vinyl now and why we're buying vinyl now. Mm-hmm. You know, cause we're all active consumers.
0: Yeah. So I wanted to ask about um, whether or not like larger record companies are investing more in vinyl, or whether it's like a smaller artist kind of deal. Because I think that it's interesting that. You know, big records would be like buying into this fad. Yeah, um,
1: I don't want to like get academia on this, but I've taken some classes where they talk about these kind of things. Get
0: academia. on Um, it. and
1: I'm taking this like capstone class right now. Um, about uh, media industries, and our professor talks about how vinyl, though it is a very appealing way for small artists to like, you know, find new ways to like, you know, find audiences and listeners mm-hmm. and fans. Um. A lot of the times, record labels are trying to like recoup lost revenues from like like falling de- um you know um physical product sales, right? So you found this one new niche, and I think they're like doubling down and trying to invest on it. Um, so you have a lot of these big record companies that are just going crazy about it, and they're like doing re-releases of old albums, and you know they're you know making sure a lot of the new new bands are like releasing albums on vinyl and yeah. creating these cool experiences like we've just talked about too. Um, so I think it's something that, that they've seen as like a supple opportunity to like yeah. make a lot of money on, and it's still like it hasn't stopped yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think like big record labels definitely are like finding a lot of use in that.
2: I think uh, another little tidbit related to like vinyl reproduction. Um, I did some research about when I was trying to learn about the vinyl resurgence, and um, when vinyl first started coming back, because it had been gone for so long the means of production were so outdated, like people in 2009 were still using like 1980s hydraulic presses to yeah. make these vinyls. And there are only like
1: mm-hmm. a few people who actually can produce vinyls today, right?
2: Yeah, and and with this new like demand for it, they had to try to innovate and there are a ton of companies now trying to find these new automated ways to make vinyl, so it's almost like the vinyl industry is now just catching up. There's like an to innovation where almost the rest happening. of the world yeah. has been. Yeah, because I
1: remember in like high school when vinyls were like actually, like you know, the resurgence started like mm-hmm. starting. There were a lot of people talking about how like there were only like five like major like companies that could actually ca- were capable of producing yeah. like vinyl records, and everyone had to go to them to source <laughs> yeah, yeah. it because it was it's just that fringe, right? <laughs> yeah, which is insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and these companies are still like making their money and stuff. But like, yeah, like you yeah. said, there's a I I
2: remember, what? I think Forbes had a video about this. Um, this vinyl manufacturer in Pittsburgh who invested in this massive like automated vinyl machine to try to like lower his fixed costs mm-hmm. and whatever. Um shout out economics. Yeah. <laughs> and he's basically just entering the long haul for the vinyl industry yeah. now with this with this new machine. So I think it's I think it's just fascinating how the the vinyl's dip in demand and popularity is even so evident in how it's produced now. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. yeah. So with this, like doubling down, I think, on the industrial side of, of vinyls do you guys see like a long term staying power then?
3: With like the kind of traits we've talked about? Well, before we move on to that, I wanna address one other part of Rebecca's question sure. a minute ago, um, which is sort of, you know, large labels versus small labels. Um, and I think one of the interesting things is as the industry catches up in terms of the number of pressing plants and that kind of thing, you know, it sort of seems like smaller artists are sometimes getting elbowed out of the way, like a digital, digital release might come on March 1st, but then the physical release isn't out till June 1st. And that's because, you know, there are huge, like wait times for getting, for getting anything pressed. So, they're, they're not like prioritized, basically, is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, if you look at the top selling vinyl albums for 2017 in the U.S., the top five are The Beatles, Sgt. Peppers, a Sgt. Peppers Lonely Hearts Club band, The Beatles, Abbey Road, the soundtrack for Guardians yep. of the Galaxy. Oh, wow. Um, the first one. Ed Sheeran's "Divide" and Amy Winehouse "Back to Black."
1: That's a funny list right there. So, so it's mix. like
0: very rooted in nostalgia.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Mine so is like Guardians of the Galaxy. In, you know, even with Guardians of the Galaxy <laughs> though, they're like running on a lot of like old songs. Too. Yeah, like nostalgia. No, they, like that's true. Yeah. like 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 sound wise, like sonically drove that movie. So mm-hmm. I think that like yeah, it's ties all, in all in the that. 80s. Yeah. yeah.
0: So I think it would be difficult for a new artist to sort of. Break it's that. like we're
1: stuck in a microcosm when you look at like vinyls, almost, yeah. right? Like it's it seems like it's maybe impossible for these new artists to like jump in on this, and it's just for us to like share in on this culture we we're part of for a while. Yeah.
3: yeah, but I do hesitate to say that it's impossible for new artists to you know say it's impossible for all new artists to jump in in on this because I remember I was at Vertigo Records about a year ago uh-huh. and they someone was buying. Twenty One Pilots most recent album and the guy working the desk goes oh you know this is out of print now so you know I mean like Mm. this album came out a year ago they pressed you know however many thousands and thousands tens of thousands of copies it's already out of print you know that's I mean I'm sure they'll reissue another vinyl pressing in the next year or so Yeah, but you know I think that When we talk about vinyl, not necessarily being accessible to newer artists in terms of smaller artists, yeah, 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 exactly. It's it's not necessarily all newer artists,
1: but yeah, because like newer artists who are backed by big that's the thing. I think we're talking like big labels have this like upper hand essentially because they found this niche. Now they've cashed in on it. They're doubling down. So everyone that they're signing that are new are like, getting these benefits, but then like you have these smaller artists who are maybe trying to get in on it, but like they don't have the label backing. So it seems like they're the ones getting elbowed out, okay. like you're saying.
3: Yeah, and and if I can add one more word about cassettes here, Love I think the, I think <laughs> that's actually where a lot of these smaller, more independent labels are going. That's a really good point because I've seen that yeah. a lot of smaller bands doing yeah. that. Yeah, huh. there's so I interviewed um, Katie Alice Greer. She's the lead singer of a band called Priests out of Washington D.C. They have, they started their own record label, label called Sister Polygon Records, and like 99% of the releases they do are all local from DC, and they're all on cassette, which I just love. That's so cool, mm-hmm. actually. Damn. Yeah. yeah, that
1: seems interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, then, been, like, talking about these kind of things, I want to loop back to the question I posed earlier. So then, do you guys think there is some staying power to this? Like, do you think vinyls actually have the sustainable means of, like, you know... Us, just think around like do you think you'll still be buying vinyls like ten years down the road?
2: I'd like to be I'm excited. Mm-hmm. I'd think so because I mean when vinyl was initially big, it was big because it was it was the new medium and it was and, the only medium. yeah, and then it took a dip because there were it's new things, yeah, yeah, new things came about, yeah. but now its resurgence, as we've talked about, is rooted in its oldness, and it's not gonna like it's not just gonna garner like youth it's always gonna have yeah. that 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 novelty factor yeah. to it and so I don't
1: want to like sound like a broken record pun intended um <laughs> but I think the the technical aspect of it is still something that actually is worthy of talking about too yeah I think maybe some people don't find that appeal but I think maybe like you and I like we do see some like that some of that difference yeah in, I, in, sure. in I the certainly
2: talent. can and I like that a lot you know yeah
1: and and you know that's like the ritualistic aspect of it too so Mm-hmm. I guess I can see that being sustainable, I don't know. But then we talk about these like new like bands trying to like jump in on it and like I don't know.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I think there. in terms of the the culture of it, I think that vinyl has a lot of staying power. I think that a lot of people are discovering something <laughs> that they didn't have with music before that they're really appreciating now. Yeah. The question that I would pose is what is down the road going to be the environmental impact of pressing That's billions really of records every year? And I I don't <laughs> know yeah. what it's going to look like 10, 20 years from now, um, but I'd be curious to see. That's yeah. interesting.
1: I know I've seen a lot of labels and artists experiment with like different means of making vinyls, so to speak, that isn't actual vinyl. Like I mm. went to Pitchfork for The Daily, I want to say two summers ago. And uh, Cliff Bar was doing this um, promotion with a lot of the artists that were playing there, where they would um, record their live, you know, performances at Pitchfork and then press it onto these like plastic repurposed discs that they made oh, from nice. like old packaging or something. Mm-hmm. And I had this like Beach House record, which is basically just like, it's like the kind of plastic you'd see on like a like a I don't know a Fisher Price toy or some shit, you know. <laughs> like, it, it, it's 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 shitty plastic, but it's like this cool gimmicky thing that, that still is like a. You know, vinyl like I could put on my record player, and and how does that sound? Oh, terrible! But I love <laughs> it. I love it. No, it's great though. That's the, that's the thing. Like like we talk about, it's it's gimmicky. The gimmicks are appealing, you know. Yeah. Um, it doesn't sound as good, but like, I guess there are a lot of ways people can foray into like um, touching and, and and engaging with those um, cool traits about vinyl, um, and you know, I think that'll probably still continue.
0: Mm-hmm. And to wrap this up, um, we're gonna go to the interview that Sean did with um, the owner of Vertigo Records in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Why don't you uh, intro us in there?
3: Yeah, so just a couple of days ago, I talked to, his name is Herm Baker. He's the owner and manager of Vertigo Records in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, Although he is the owner, he also works in the store 60 to 80 hours a week. So props to him for that. Um, And we just talked for about eight minutes about his history in the Grand, Rap- Grand Rapids uh, record store scene, uh, what he thought about why vinyl is coming back, and uh, and we briefly touch on cassettes as well. Uh, so I hope you enjoy that. Wonderful.
1: Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Mike. That's all we have for you guys um, today.
5: Okay. How can I help you?
4: Um, first, thanks so much for taken just a few minutes out of your day. I know you're a busy guy, um, so I really appreciate it. Okay. Um, And first, so you've been in the record store business for a good while now in Grand Rapids. I was just wondering if you could tell me a little bit about the stores you've managed and owned and what what that's been like.
5: So I started my first store called Vinyl Solution in 1986. That um, became a rather sizable store, did high volume, we're out on 28th Street, at 2, two levels, 6 six-ounce-square-foot store, doing some good numbers. Uh, Best Buy came to town in 96. Two years later, our sales are a third of what they are. I ended up filing bankruptcy in 99. About a year and three months later, I opened Vertigo Music with a couple of partners, and uh, We have been located away from the strip malls, away from the big box stores for local Portside neighborhood of Grand Rapids, which is a neighborhood adjacent to downtown, and we are near the colleges, and we're also near the Heritage Hill, uh, neighborhood too. So we've, uh, we've enjoyed our stay right here, where we are right now, and it's been good.
4: And so after you found Bankruptcy with the first stores final solution, what led you to, you know, sort of reinvest to, to double down? Um,
5: I think for me personally, it was a uh, feeling of unfulfillment, uh, unfulfillment the way the, uh, the previous one had ended. Um, you know, just, uh, just this lousy sour feeling that I could have done things differently. And, uh, I thought I, I had an opportunity with the partners to make another go of it. The downside was that, well, there was that a downside to, the the, uh, the iTunes had not been invented yet. Um, physical product was still selling well. Um, it was just, uh, the rent was affordable, um, and I just felt like uh, giving it another go. So, and it paid off, fortunately.
4: Yeah. Um, so, when, when would you say that vinyl really, you know, sort of started taking off again? And when it did, like, who is your average customer or typical customer?
5: Okay, so I should I should show, go back to the year two thousand when I in June of when I opened our store. Um we were predominantly compact disc, probably ninety percent of inventory. Say we had maybe fifteen thousand CDs and maybe two thousand or three thousand LPs. That's probably where we were at in terms of total units. Um, C D sales are going going really well. Um don't forget the industry's doing a million or a billion units a year in the mid nineties on compact disk, so lots of cash, lots of volume. NASDAQ is now threatening that. Um, so our sales initially started off strong in our first two or three years. Sales are going really well. Uh, iTunes is announced now there's a legitimate way to buy downloads. So subsequently in the next five years, our sales are now ratcheting down to the tune of 10 to 15% a year. So we're down to 265,000 a year in sales in '06 or 07, one of those two years. Um, I'm feeling desperate once again, like going, okay, I'm going to lose my second record store. Um and then I kind of looked at the, uh, what was going on. I, I, I sensed that vinyl was making a, a resurgence. And what had happened was some, somebody really smart and innovative decided to throw a download code inside a vinyl record. So suddenly you had portability coupled with a really cool physical product. And that's what we got behind. And then we looked at the competition in Grand Rapids realizing that there really wasn't that much competition, but that we would want to make a big splash by getting as much new vinyl as possible. And that has been our saving grace. And as a consequence, we are not, we're, we're doing about a million a year in sales now. Uh, sales are great. Uh, we have more new vinyl, quite likely, than any store in Grand Rap or in, in, in Michigan, for that matter. We price it co- competitively to compete with the Internet. And, uh, yeah, the future looks right. I would say that in 07 when we sensed the vinyl resurgence coming of course it had not it was a slow growth and even now you can tell there's still people jumping on the bandwagon of vinyl and uh yeah i, I don't see any signs of it letting up although i do believe at some at some level we're in a bubble and i think at some point the people that are there will be a group of or percentage of people that get sick of flipping a record over and the maintenance required with record players etc yeah
4: Absolutely, no. That's that's really cool. And so, I guess just a couple more questions. First, um, I'm assuming that you prefer vinyl
5: to CD. Uh, not necessarily. I mean, there are certain styles of music I'd rather listen to it on 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 CD than than vinyl. I I, I love vinyl. I've always owned vinyl. I grew up on vinyl. But vinyl is not the end-all format either. I mean, it doesn't make sense for a digital recording in a studio to be converted to a vinyl record because it's not going to be an analog record. So there's all those, there's, there's all those factors that come into play. In fact, you can even hear some of the newer records that are pressed on vinyl that they were not recorded specifically with vinyl in mind. So they're not going to sound that great. So I think you have to pick and choose your artist and your titles, what you want to carry and what format and you know, and some things make sense to just, uh, you know, listen to on Spotify, but, um, you know, the compact disc, I think the first generation in the mid eighties sounded awful by and large. I think a lot of the remasters that came out in the nineties have sounded really wonderful. So I am not a CD hater, never will be. I would argue that if I had a problem with CDs, I always felt that the retails were too high on them. I always felt that they should have been a, a 10 to $12 retail format. Um, but that's another matter. But, um, I do listen to vinyl at home, well, honestly, I don't listen to that much music at home. I listen to music sixty day hours a week at vertigo, so I'm not inclined necessarily to listen to records at home. But when I do, I would either the compact disc or vinyl, I don't
4: have a preference necessarily yeah, that's great okay uh last question uh what are your thoughts on cassette? I know those are sort of taking a weird comeback right now, and you guys have stocked them over the past couple of years, and it seems like you guys are getting more and more. Um, each year what do you
5: what do you think about that well i i think i think cassettes look kind of cool i think they usually pre-recorded cassettes sound pretty awful generally um certainly some cars that kids are driving have cassette players in them still so there's that um and you know they're affordable they're you know if a brand new title retails for seven or eight dollars that's kind of a cool thing uh and if you want to support a band um yeah not a bad way to do it i guess um, I think it's a small little bubble that we're we're dealing with. We will not abandon it certainly, but we will not invest heavily in it either. So but having said that, all it takes is one good use to, um cassette collection to set collections come rolling to the door where I'm suddenly back in this cut business on a more, you know, larger scale. So I think as a as a format it'll always be a fringe format. It certainly will not do what vinyl records are doing currently, in my opinion. Um Okay.
4: Well, uh, thank you so much. Um, good luck to this. Um, yeah, yes, thank you. I'm looking forward Amen. to being back in Grand Rapids over the summer. I'll definitely be okay. in the store uh, You as know, frequently as I can.
5: And if you get an opportunity, I'd love it if you would uh, forward this podcast to us, to my email address, and I'd like to maybe listen to it, okay?
4: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. All right, thank
5: you. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.